I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. Those are verses 11 to 15 of Psalm 77, which along with Psalm 79 are the psalms appointed for today, Monday, June the 13th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are in the book of Numbers, the ninth chapter, verses 15 to 23, and then chapter 10, verse, verses 29 to 36. The gospel is Matthew uh, chapter 17, verses 14 to 21, and finally, the epistle is Paul's letter to the church at Rome, uh, chapter 1, the first 15 verses. The Numbers passage uh, is divided into these two different parts, and in between, um, there are instructions for how the people are to move out whenever the, the cloud moves uh, forward and away from the tabernacle in the wilderness. So that's the, the part that's skipped is the blowing of silver trumpets. They're to make two silver trumpets, and they're to be blown in different ways depending on the, the, uh, what's, what's going on. Only one means that the elders are to come. Two means everybody's supposed to move out. And then it gives further instructions going forward, um, and those refer to um, once they've gotten into the land and when they go out to battle. So that's that's the part that's skipped over in this. On so on that day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle. So the same day, as soon as they did it, the cloud that had led them to that point covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony. And at evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning, and it's representing the presence of God. So as long as they see this cloud uh, of uh, in the in the day and the fire in the evening, then they know that God's with them. It's it's the sign of His presence among them, um, and, it, and it would certainly be the most comforting thing in the world in this place because you're talking about be, literally being out in the middle of nowhere, and and they would have reason to to fear were it not for the presence of God among them. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out, and in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. Now, the rest of this part from chapter 9 is phenomenally repetitious. Um, it, it, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's, it's, it's really odd, to be honest with you, when you read this. So, at the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord, they camped. And the command would be in the form of the cloud, of pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. So even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle—no, I'm sorry, I skipped a verse—as long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then, according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. When the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out, or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days, or a month, or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out, but when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord, at the command of the Lord, by Moses. I, I think I could condense that. 
a little bit. There's a reason, though, for for saying this because what what they wanted, what the, what the writer, who we believe to be Moses, is trying to get across here is is that that there was no discernible rhyme or reason to when the camp, when the when the cloud would be there and when the cloud would lift. And so they, whatever it was, though, he's he's telling us that's what we did. But it wasn't day by day necessarily. It was this or it was that. But no matter what, whenever the cloud. Whatever the cloud did, we did, because <clears throat> we considered that to be the command of God to, to, to telling us what to do. So now we skip forward over that passage that I talked about before, and we're now in, in Numbers 10, 29 to 36. And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' his father-in-law. Again, I could have condensed that, and he could have said, he said to Hobab, his brother-in-law. <laughs> um so this is the first we've heard of Hobab, to know that Hobab is among them. Um, we don't know when he came among them. Was it when they came to Sinai, when his father came as well? We assume that to be the case. He, he said to Hobab, we're setting out for the place uh, which the Lord said, I'll give it to you. Come with us and we will do good to you, for the Lord has promised good to Israel. And so the, the promise has always been for all the nations— that, that whoever blesses them will be blessed, um, and whoever curses them will be cursed. And so here he's extending that to his brother-in-law Hobab, who is a Midianite. But he, Hobab, said to him, I will not go. I will depart to my own land and to my kindred. And he, Moses, said, Please don't leave us, for you know where we should camp in the wilderness, and you will serve as eyes for us. And if you do go with us, whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same will we do to you. So they set out from the mount on, of the Lord for three days' journey. So that he, he has begged Hobab to stay with him because he knows the good camping spots. And, and I think that what that would mean would, is, is that, that the good camping spots would be the place where they could pasture their animals, where they could get water, and where they would be safe. So the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them three days' journey to seek out a resting place for them. So, so the, the, the Ark goes ahead always. It leads the procession, and that's attended by the priests and the Levites. And so the, these tribes who had been given the responsibility for these things always went ahead. And so it led the entire procession. So God was at the head of the procession always. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they sent out from the camp. And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. So whenever they began to move, he's asking the Lord to go before them and to prepare the way. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. And so he's asking him to be with them, to, to scatter their enemies as they move out, so that no one's going to attack them from the, from the rear or from the front. And then when they camped, to be among them in the camp and to give them the blessing of his presence among them at that time. The uh, gospel lesson today it immediately follows after the transfiguration. You know, it's Monday and I didn't do one on Sunday. So just giving you a heads up. So this is everybody, all the gospels that record it, which would be the synoptics, recorded in that order of time. So when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. Now, 
before Will started having seizures, I didn't have as much appreciation for why this is such a big deal. It's a terrifying thing to see. Um, you don't know how long it's going to last. You don't know, and it could cause harm. It's it's a dangerous thing. One of the things it tells you not to do: don't climb ladders, don't don't swim by yourself. Um, it, it, and so there there are all these other dangers that that seizures can cause. And so it, it, he's saying these two dangerous things: he can fall into the fire, he can fall into the water, he could drown, he could you know whatever, he, he could die from these seizures. And, and it is a, a deeply troubling thing to witness this. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. So the the disciples have been unable to heal. And we're told, as it says, there's a crowd there. And so these people have all gathered around it, and they've seen the failure of the disciples to heal this boy. And so Jesus is is frustrated because he's he's preparing for his departure. And that was the point of the conversation with Moses and Elijah. And so now he comes down and, and he's he he'd been ready to kind of hand off the ministry and the work. And now, however, it flips around and he's not able to do that because they're not prepared yet for the work that lies ahead of them. And, and what is the preparation for the work? And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. The boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why couldn't we cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it'll move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So Jesus is promising them that, that, that if they have faith, that's the key ingredient here is faith. He had perfect trust in the Father. And so he was able to do all things because of that. And they were as yet, even though they had faith to confess him, then they still didn't have the faith that they would come to have. And it's a gift. It's, it's, it's a gift to have that kind of faith that he's talking about here. Um, for us as human beings, it, 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 we, we can't gin it up on our own. It, it has to be given to us, and it's, it's the, a part of the gift of the Holy Spirit is to give us that faith, that assurance that God wills something. And so that's the issue here is his faith. It's, it's, they don't have enough yet. They, they don't have enough faith and trust in God that he's able to do all things. In the epistle today, this is just basically the introduction Paul makes of himself to the Romans and assures them that, that he's wanted to come to them for a while— but he's been prevented from doing that. And we know from his, some, some other writings, from Acts particularly, that the Spirit of God would prevent him from being able to do things. And so here he's writing to the church at Rome, and he wants to come and see them. This is the only epistle that he writes to people that he hasn't met and doesn't know. So he, he's writing here to introduce himself and, and to not make an excuse, but to explain why he has yet to come to Rome. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's a a servant of Christ Jesus, and then he's going to tell you who this Jesus is. So that's what he's, he's explaining in the flesh, he, he was descend, He was considered to be descended 
to, of, of David, and he was declared to be the Son of God in power. And what does that declaration mean? I mean, there, was, there were multiple declarations where God said he was his son he, at the baptism and then again at the transfiguration. And here, though, what he's saying is he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And, and what does he mean by that? What he means is it's a witness for everybody to see. There had been private witness before that when God spoke from heaven, and and it's questionable sometimes whether or not people understood the declaration, not on the Mount of Transfiguration, but there were only three people there at that time. And so so this is the declaration by God that he is his son because he was the firstborn from the dead, through whom we've received grace and apostleship. Apostle means one sent with a message. Uh, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So we're, we're sent everywhere. This is not a Jewish thing, he says. This is to the nations, to those who are elect, those who are called to belong to Jesus. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is typical way of greeting that Paul gives. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. And it would have been. There, there, there would have been big news that there was this Christian thing in Rome, because Rome would be more or less the center of their universe. <clears throat> for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So he says, look, I've been praying for you, even though I haven't been there. I pray for you all the time because of what I've heard about you. <clears throat> for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul believes that he has something to offer them. He believes that he has something to give this church in Rome. And when I say church, it could be multiple ecclesia, multiple bodies, but but he's writing to the church in Rome. And so it would have been shared, this epistle would, with all the churches, the gatherings in Rome. And so that's what he's saying. He says, I think I have something to offer you. And we all would. I mean, anybody who's called to gospel ministry has to believe, honestly, that they've got something to say that's of value. Wherever God opens a door for you to speak, he wants to say something through you to those people. And Paul says, you know, I believe that I have something to offer you, but I believe also that we'll be mutually encouraged. I don't expect this to be a one-way street. I expect to get something from you and being among you as well. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. And see, this is Paul's faith. And this is the kind of faith Jesus is speaking about, is that he has a complete, solid expectation that his ministry will be of value and of use and there will be a harvest. It's the same thing that God promises in Isaiah 55 when he says his word doesn't return to him void, but it accomplishes everything for which he intends it to accomplish. And so it's important that, that if you are called, if you're called to your friends, if you're called whatever, you're there to provide a witness to them. And, and that will not return void. It has an effect. We don't know what that effect is, but, but we know that God intended it. 
So if you see your friends come to know the Lord because you've spoken to them, well, glory in that. But the other truth is that that it accomplishes the purpose for which God intended it. Maybe it's to prepare somebody. Maybe it's to provoke somebody. We, we just don't know God's intention. But it never returns void, so therefore we should sow. Period. End of sentence. We, we should not shrink back from sharing the good news. And we should have the faith that Paul has here, which is to say, I will reap a harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm aware of this, and I count on it. He says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, um, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He said, "There's, there's nobody I don't have an obligation to, and that obligation is what? It was to preach the gospel. It's to tell them the good news about Jesus Christ. We likewise have an obligation. And that obligation is to pray, but it's also to speak. We should never hold our tongue whenever the gospel is at stake. We should always be willing to speak that, even in a hostile situation, if the Spirit prompts us to do so, because we don't know what the effect will be. But we do know that God has promised that his word will not return to him void. It'll accomplish the objective which he has for it. And so it's just up to us to to share the gospel, to share the good news. What has Christ done for you? it's, It's not difficult, and it's not something we should shrink away from. We should always be prepared to give an accounting of the hope that's in us, as Peter will say later. It's important that we have that kind of faith, that we believe God. We don't just believe in God. We believe his promises, and that's the reason I started with that portion of the psalm that I started with today, uh, that I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your wonders of old. I'll ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. And why is he doing that? Well, that, that psalm actually begins with him questioning because of how things are and how they look in his life. He's questioning, the psalmist is, is God still here? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has he forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And then what's the antidote that he sees for that? Remembering what God's done in the past. It's important that we share the good news with one another. When we see God doing something, when, when we have a witness about his current action, we need always to share that with our Christian brothers and sisters so that we might all together be encouraged.